Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. So the first question is, and I will let Dr. Rob weigh in on these as well, so don't worry, you're not just getting my uh, input. Dr. Rob will um, will see these and be able to tag on as well. So my husband was unfaithful for more than 40 years. I am so sorry, and I'm going to tell you about some resources for you. With physical sex affairs, cyber sex, long-term emotional affairs, porn, et cetera, et cetera. When he had women business associates or needed to hire someone, he would repeatedly look up there, the women applicants or business associates on the internet to find info and pictures of them. His recovery has been bare bones. He has not had a therapist and behaves as a dry drunk. I told him to get a therapist or leave, and then there's no more. So, so I don't know. You need to uh, you need to finish that one. Sorry, but um, if he's looking for recommendations, I mean, so here's the deal. This is forty years of of this be actually preceded you no doubt so um so if you're oh he oh he got breads for women he start looking them up on the internet even after i told him i would not feel safe he continued to look up women it, so it you had set a clear boundary of you need to get help or leave and so then he made some half efforts and looked up women therapists. I can, you know, sometimes I get questions about you know, finding a therapist and it's, um, uh, so male or female, it's one of those things where I can understand with this type of thing, when his looking up is looking at women, that, that would make me nervous too. Therapy tends to be a more female-dominated field. There, meaning there are more female therapists than male therapists. You know, there's some great male therapists, but but many of the therapists are female. Now, in the sex addiction field, it's interesting because there are more male therapists who gravitate towards that work. So it's not as heavily female as the regular therapy world, but there still are more female therapists now. But I think a really good therapist, male or female, can hold boundaries, can deal with um, any transference issues in the therapy session. If this is his known behavior, that absolutely would be called out as part of the work that the therapist is doing, male or female. So, so, so I don't know. I would want the most qualified therapist. I would make sure for me, if it was me, I would want to make sure that the therapist was aware of his patterns of behavior. Clearly, there's a lot of assessment. Like when clients come to, to seeking integrity treatment program, we do a lot of assessment because the acting out is a symptom. So we want to understand what the underlying issues are, what's driving that. And um, we would want to obviously address all of that in the treatment process. So, so part of it is, if, you know, working with a qualified therapist, they have the opportunity to give them specific assessments and identify what the issues are so that they're able to help um, discern it. But if he's just going to go to a therapist for 15 minutes a week, you know, that will not change patterns that are 40 years or longer old. Um, 
you know, that's, I mean, it just can't. So I'm sorry, but you know, recovery is a journey anyway. And so doing as much as you possibly can, I always say, if you are as actively engaged in your recovery as you were in your acting out, you're going to be fine. That means you're going to be, you know, every day you're going to be doing something that is recovery. You're going to be connecting with peers. You're going to be going to 12 step. You're going to be coming to our drop-in groups. You're going to be reading materials. You're going to be listening to podcasts. You're going to, hopefully he's on this. I mean, you know, if, if you're the one that's on this and he's sitting watching TV or something like that, um, that that's different. So, um, it didn't precede me. We're married 50 years. I, but I'll bet, I'll bet that I don't think the internet preceded you, but the, typically the acting out, the dissociating behaviors, you know, started younger than that. So, um, uh, so there may have been a disconnect. There may have been something that happened. I don't know. So working with a qualified therapist is going to be able to help, you know, identify what those issues are. But again, even if it's, 35 years old, that's a long time in a 50 minute session once a week, you know, isn't, isn't enough. You, now let's talk about you. There, the old lady posse is tomorrow morning. That's at 830 in the morning, Pacific time, every Tuesday. And um, the, you know, that's a great group. They named it that way. Um, uh, it was for support, but also for accountability. That group has a little different purpose than our regular betrayed partner groups. Um, uh, Susan Anderson is the moderator of that one, and I would invite you to join that. Um, but there, you know, the podcast, the webinars, I'm glad you're here. Um, all of these resources, you know, are, are great resources. If he has not already participated in uh, the Sex and Porn Addiction 101 work groups, the next one starts September 1st, and that is a, you know, that is an opportunity. It's the psychoeducation component that doesn't happen in, um, in uh, the um, individual therapy sessions. So it's an opportunity to get that information and then be working with a qualified therapist. That's the stuff that something comes up while they're working in the, doing the homework or they're having the lecture or whatever. And that's a, the information that can be brought to the, um, you know, to the therapist. So, so it's a great opportunity. And I think his willingness to show you what, where he's willing to step up, you know, is really good information for you. If it's always, you have to, you know, you know, kicking and screaming, he's, you know, being dragged to something that's more challenging. So, you know, you made a clear boundary, you either get help or else. So, you know, I, it's his opportunity to, to uh, show up and do some different work. So, okay. So the next question in a video you did called Sex Addiction Is Not, the very first thing you said was that someone being bipolar manic may not be a sex addict. My husband has struggled with bipolar for many years. We are just beginning to understand that has meant and how it has manifested in his life and his acting out. He would be in mania for months and months at a time. Many of these acting out times, it looked in looking back, you seem to correspond with these manic times. However, when he does the questionnaire for sex addiction, he answers yes to many. How would we know if this is hypersexuality from mania or sex addiction or both? Well, I think it's a pretty simple answer actually, which is if someone's taking their medication and they're stable from their bipolar disorder, they're sleeping, they're not irritable, they're not racing around for days at a time, they're not lying in bed depressed. If they are stable, and the sexual behavior was part of mania, 
then they shouldn't be having any of this behavior when they're stable because it's not coming out of the mania. And it really is obvious, like if someone's on their lithium or their whatever it is that they're taking, uh, when they go off it and get manic, they spend, they sex. And so it may well be that the things that were checked off were things that absolutely were true when he was manic, but aren't really true in the day to day. So to me, uh, you know, what I just said is true, but also it might be, to me, this is an interview question. Like I would want to do an assessment or an evaluation because there's two things to kind of pick apart. And sometimes we don't always see the problem. I was gonna, I mentioned this Tammy to a couple earlier that people often call you or come into treatment and they're saying, oh, the porn is the problem. My spouse found me with a porn. I have porn all over my computer. And so they come in with a porn problem in their minds. But what they don't realize is that having the affairs is also the problem. And the way they, ma you know, the way they manage their, uh, their flirting at the office and just all of it is, is a problem. They only often come in to see the issue that they are coming in for. Um, so uh, if someone's coming in for the sexual behavior and they're stable and they're on their meds, they're probably not a sex addict. So I want you to touch in on the weigh in on the previous question. The short version is his behavior for almost 40 years has been um, uh, like looking up female um, candidates for jobs and things like so very hyper focused on you know images of women and you know like probably hiring certain women anyway so in looking for a qualified therapist there was concern by the spouse that if he goes to a female and you know what are your thoughts on if it's a qualified therapist male or female do you have what are your thoughts on that well i think there are certainly troubled therapists out there who are in it for getting something from their clients. But I'd like to think that Tammy and I have had enough experience with professionals who really understand how to work with human sexuality. You have to understand like the most egregious thing I could do other than tell everybody what you told me in session, probably as is, is trying to be sexual with you. And so it's not just uh, about working with a female. It, it, it would be Number one, we'd have to be pretty troubled. Number two, that female would have to, you would know because you would walk in and there would be, she would be dressed in ways that would not seem to service a female. So most of us are not going to do that. A qualified therapist, you know, I've worked with a lot of women who come in and say, you may, you may find me sexually attractive. You may respond to the fact that I'm a woman, but I just want you to know that's not going to happen here. And you can talk about your feelings, but I'm not going to engage you in any way. And so uh, I think that to simply say, because it's a woman, he shouldn't see her is really not accurate. Okay, next question. I put this one in the answer. I've recently ended an affair and I'm struggling with trying to reconnect with my spouse. I don't know if I want to be with him at all. How do you know if you're just stuck in an affair fog or still even love your spouse? I feel very confused. Well, Tammy, this person doesn't say how long it's been. So recently could be three weeks ago or it could be a year ago, which I think makes a huge difference. Um, yeah, I, the other thing I want to say is that um, does your spouse know about this? Do they know that this was going on? Uh, did they know that you ended it to focus on them? Um, or is this like you had the affair and the spouse doesn't know anything about it and now you're just trying to work it out, but he or she never learned of it. Um, and an affair fog, by the way, um, a year maybe something like that before it really, really, because if you've turned to it for comfort, you've turned to it to feel important. You've turned to it as a distraction. 
you're going to still do those things in your head for a while. You'll be thinking of them. You want to reach out to them. So, you know, just because you shouldn't be connected to someone doesn't mean you don't end up being connected to someone. And if you're connected, it doesn't go away right away. You have some grieving to do. And maybe that's something that's worth saying. And I'm not, you notice, Tammy, I'm not being judgmental of the affair. That's not what the person wrote about. Um, but I think, um, why don't you let yourself think of this person and do some grieving? Sometimes we say, oh, I don't want to think about that because I'm moving on to my next relationship, moving back. I'm not saying talk to the person. I'm not saying reach out, but it's okay for you to be sad that someone who was important to you is not in your life anymore. And if you take that part out, what they were to you, but just that you felt something for them, then you're grieving a loss. And I think you should let yourself grieve that loss. It might make it easier to move forward. But if your husband or wife who you are married to doesn't know anything about this, it's not going to make it any easier to get close to them. Um, what do you think, Tammy? Well, my thoughts were um, because affairs are so, you know, the fantasy and the high risk and that you like, it's not real life. And so it's like in this whole different category. So of course, boring real life, you know, is boring real life, you know? So, so, you know, it, I think part of it is looking at what there was from the perspective of the reality of it. It's not, you know, it's the, you know, it's, it's just so different. And, you know, there's the excitement and newness and all of that kind of stuff. And what happens, you know, like we talk about all the time, you know, 20 years later, like if you're with this person, really, like if there really is a chance 20 minutes, 20 years later, Five. you know, well, yeah, but you know, you know, it looks change, excitement, like you're taking out the trash, you're paying the bills, like all the routine mm -hmm. stuff of real life happens. So, so it's, you know, it's kind of apples and oranges. You're not comparing two relationships on an even platform. You know, it's mm -hmm. the drudgery of the normal and then the excitement of the, you know, of the forbidden, you know, so, but yeah, it's I mean, challenging. Absolutely right. This is apples to oranges, you know, because you can have so much mystique and excitement about this magical person out there. And yeah, you got to do the laundry and change diapers when you're home. So you can't really compare them. And in your head, by the way, when you're having drudgery or the usual every day, because that's how life is at home, I can imagine starting to think about that because it means like moonbeams and fun and getting away from all of this. So yeah, it's really not a fair comparison. One of the things that happens regularly is I get calls from betrayed partners who were the former affair partner with the person and they're, you know, and, and it's genuine. I'm not making fun of this. They're genuinely shocked that that person is now cheating on them. And, right. and I'm like, yeah, it's kind of like, well, they proved that they would cheat they cheated with you. And so what makes you think that it's not going to happen or that you aren't going to cheat again, you know, because it goes back to, you know, drudgery. So well, okay. I also think people in that situation think, well, they left that relationship because I'm so special, not because they were looking for the new and now I'm not new anymore. So, um, hey, Tammy, can I ask a question? Can I jump ahead sure. the line? Okay. So this is truly a marital issue. I'd like you to help resolve. Excuse me, but okay. I want to get some help for myself. So I often knock over glasses and cups. In fact, I could be sitting right here and, and you know, I just do that. And I try to have special places on my desk so I don't. But I, sometimes I knock them over anyway. So my husband has been saying to me for about two years, you know, sippy cup, sippy cup. And I think that makes me feel like a really um, disabled oh 
person in a hospital to, no. so wait, I'm not done. Hold on. I'm not done with my story. So I ignore him completely, of course. And I continue to make large glasses of things that I knock over. And so I just asked him if he would be kind enough to bring me something to drink during this. Cause I was busy doing this and guess what? I got a drink in a sippy cup and I'm trying to think like, what does this mean? What should I do? Your husband cares about you and does not want your technology to get ruined. Mine was to keep the cat from, like I had to do it because the cat wanted to tip everything over. So, so I look at it as it's being proactive and it's one less mess I have to clean up. So, so I think your husband is fantastic that he cares so much about you, that he brought you a, he brought you the drink that you requested and in a container that you don't have to worry about losing technology to. Gosh, Your husband I, is great. I'm so glad I have a sponsor and therapy because my <laughs> thought was, oh, here he is trying to inflict his will on me and he's going to stuff this sippy cup down my throat, whether I like it or not, to prove, this is an addict, right? To prove that he was right. And sippy, and this person says, it's not a sippy cup. And I agree because like all of those are the, the kind of bottles that I use when I'm mobile and athletic and, you know, when I'm out paddleboarding, whatever I'm like, they all have to be closed and contained. So, so it's not a sippy cup, like a child, you know, like a toddler is using. It's, it's really a very sophisticated technology. So good. Okay. okay. Then I'll thank him instead of shame. That would be I great. And I bet so you can. You can tell me how that works out tomorrow for you too, versus going, you did. Da, da, da. So. By the way, and then I have to say, thank you for doing that. And, you know, I'm really learning the advantages of this Kippy Cup thing. So I want you guys to know, just to say it, that this is, some of you asked, what is intimacy? In a very small little way, little teeny, teeny way, I just made myself intimate with Tammy because it has nothing to do with sex, nothing to do with attraction. She's in another state, but I let down my guard. And I said something that was going on in my life that I wasn't really sure what to do with. And she could have embarrassed me or shamed me or said, that's ridiculous. Or, and then I've learned, by the way, that she's not someone I want to be intimate with. Intimacy is not about sex. Intimacy is about making yourself vulnerable and open. And then when someone comes along and does what she does, which is, let me tell you what I think. And here's your feedback. And, you know, he's really doing it to love you. I get useful, supportive. I feel like, oh, look, I was intimate and she moved toward me. She became more engaged and supportive. What I think a lot of addicts do is I'm just not going to tell anybody. I'm just going to not talk about it. And then I understand why I'm not intimate. And by the way, your spouses, you addicts, every one of them, I don't know how many are in here, but a bunch are saying to you all the time, if you just tell me more, if you just tell me what you're feeling, if you just, so you've got this person who's asking for you to be intimate, and then you're sitting back saying, oh, I don't want to talk about that, or I don't, um, this is not how it works if you want to get closer to the person you love. So I just got a little teeny bit closer to Tammy tonight because she validated the sippy cup issue. So yeah, thanks, and have my own version sitting right here. And it's not because I'm, you know, incompetent. It's because I don't want to mess. So okay. Next question. As a betrayed this one came in at 503. As a betrayed partner, my brain seems to be constantly processing his decades of double life. However, even though my SA husband is in recovery and doing the work, it seems like he can compartmentalize his recovery. He can be happy and light while my brain seems heavy and always in processing mode. Is that normal? One of the things they don't say is how long this has been. Right. So, yeah. And tell us why you say that, Tammy. Because, of course, like, how, um, how are you going to be 
un, uh, unfogged for lack of a better word, because you, you, he has to do the work. And then there's the lag time of you actually beginning to think that this might be real. He's known all along that he was lying and living a double life and doing all of those things, you know, processing his decades of double life. So he, now he has a, you know, a plan and a program and support and he's getting attaboys for like, Oh, look, you got a 30 day chip or whatever he got, you know, and you're sitting, you're going, you lied to me for decades. How am, how is this going to be tried? Everything I thought I knew is like a lie. Of course, it's discombobulating. You are, so it's going to take longer. It is normal. Um, we often talk about the 12 to 18 months, you know, from the time he stops the behavior. So if, you know, if there were periods where he was up and down with that, you know, it takes even longer. So. Yeah, I mean, I can say as an addict that I knew what I was doing for all those years. You didn't know, but I knew. And I knew that I didn't feel good about it. I'm being a general addict here. I knew what I was doing. You didn't. So the fact that you find out all at once, something that I've been doing for decades is no surprise to me, but it's a huge, you know, explosion for you. So we actually are often feeling relieved, like, oh my God, for the first time, I don't have any secrets. And, and we actually sometimes, if we're narcissistic enough, look at you and say, I thought you would feel better now that you know everything about what I've been doing. So uh, that's why I wrote a book for men who cheat. But, um, you know, I think we are in to some degree happy that we have always had this problem, that we finally have some resolution or ideas that it has a, uh, uh, symptoms and a way to fix them. And now my spouse knows. And so I think we can be quite encouraged by the beginning of the process if we're not in serious trouble, but um, spouses are going to be knocked flat. And I think part of, you know, Dr. Carnes has talked a lot about this, is that we're at different stages you know, you are at the earliest stage of grief, which is shock and denial, like this can't be true. And oh, my God. And and we're kind of at, you know, woo, I feel better for getting this off my chest. So it and takes a while to get and back. And this sick. is right. There, there is help. But like, I'm not alone. And I'm not, you know, the unicorn thinking that I'm so terminally different than everybody else. And there's no hope. Why am I doing these crazy things? So so it's very it's very freeing to understand that there is help and there's hope and there's a whole bunch of other people that are in the struggle along with you. So, but, but to your point with the addicts, there's, there's partners in the struggle too. They are in all different stages of it and they're there to walk alongside you. And we have multiple betrayed partner dropping groups every week on sex and relationship healing.com for partners so that you, you are not alone and there's a safe place for you to share too. Okay. Let's keep going. The next one is at the bottom. If sex addicts are primarily seeking pleasure in their addiction to avoid intimacy, mm -hmm. how is it not about sex? We're not primarily seeking pleasure. Um, uh, on one level, we're seeking distraction and escape, a place to go to be completely zoned out and focused on anything but our, the stuff that's going on inside of us or outside of us. Um, the other thing is that what we're looking for is a lot of validation, a lot of Attention, a lot of feeling important, feeling special, but without having to have a commitment or worry about what they think of us. Or So what I'm looking for is an intense and exciting distraction from what's going on inside of me that I will have control of because no one's going to hurt me. No one's going to let me down. And I'm going to feel so important and so special, at least for those moments. Now it's an illusion, right? I'm paying someone, but I've had 
but but part of it is it doesn't matter where it comes from. It, it, it's like a person with eating disorder. At a certain point, they don't care whether you eat cookies or drinking coke. They just want to get it in them, the sugar. So um, so I think the idea that we're looking for uh, incredible sexual experiences, that's the fantasy. But the reality of what we're looking for is to disappear. It's like the person who says, you know, I want a Montreal Chateau 59, but they're an alcoholic and they say, well, or whatever. They like have a, a basement full of vintage wine and they just say, I would love to drink. I'd love the history of wine. And, but they also happen to be an alcoholic. They're not really drinking because it's a Montreal Chateau 59. It's because they can look okay drinking because they say they collect it. So anyway, I don't know if that metaphor worked, Tammy, but it was a stab at it. Well, but I agree with you. And whether it's food, it's sex, it's alcohol, it's whatever it is, it is absolutely looking to mm. numb out and dissociate away from, you know, because if you think about it, if somebody is spending five hours fantasizing and planning and all of that, that takes way more time than sex does. So it's really more about the whole process and being dissociated. You've talked too about people being in the, in the bubble, you know, and they don't even remember driving the car to the, you know, to the interaction. It's like, it's, you're so focused on, you know, uh, on being escaping from your reality that you're not even aware of driving. So, um, so it really isn't about sex or food or whatever. But I do want to say this, and you're right, Tammy, um, about the brain chemistry. I think that's really, it's like fight or flight. You don't know what the heck's going on. You're not really present. Um, but I want to say one more thing about that you just brought up, which is, um, it doesn't matter. The what bubble? Says, oh, it has to be pleasurable. I'm not oh. going to go do things as a distraction that don't cause me pleasure. There are people who are compulsive, who, who feel better and get a sense of escape and relief. Um, from behavior that's not pleasurable. And those people wash their hands over and over again, and then they check the stove to make sure it's on. They run, a, run and look and make sure their kids are not in the pool for the 50th time that day. And so those people who do compulsive behaviors that alleviate their anxiety, they, we call them obsessive compulsive, or we just call them compulsive. But people who experience pleasure in their repetitive behaviors, we call addicts, because they are seeking the idea of the incredible food, or the idea of the incredible sex, even even though, you know, the truth is half the people we're with, you wouldn't want to meet on a day on any kind of basis. Sometimes we just want the, we just want to do it and be over, care over, have it over with. We don't even care who we're with. So it's not exactly as exciting as you might think it is. Well, and I'm going to share this, the, yeah, like I had fun in an acting out and I was chasing that fun thereafter, even though you know, if it, if it was one time fun, the next thousand times or not, you know? So, so it, like, I never got as high. I never got as, you know, like it was like this amazing and, and then it's never the same. And you're always chasing that illusion of what it could be. And then, you know, I'd be looking for where my car was the next morning. Cause I wasn't sure where I'd parked. I mean, like all of the stuff that comes with it, the shame. And so then I couldn't handle that. So then the next day I have to go do the same thing, even though I said, I'm not going to do this again. So it's, it's very, it's, it's not fun, fun but it's trying to chase, no, but it's chasing the perception of fun. So, well, but I really liked how you said, um, fantasy of something drives the addiction because maybe that helps people understand like in a gambling addiction, people struggle with the, the idea 
that the next hand of cards is going to pay off. Or I know this today when I go to the casino, that it's going to be my big day. And so they run in this fantasy of how great it's going to be, even though they may go there and more likely not, they're going to lose money, but at least they get to lose themselves in the illusion of gambling, uh, the illusion of the excitement of it. Sometimes when they get to the reality of it, it's just disappearing. It isn't even fun or pleasurable, but it's the idea of pleasure that drives addicts forward. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.